0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a Liftoff.
0: Permission to board. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to bring me aboard. Permission to come
2: aboard. Welcome to the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's D.A. Welcome inside the latest edition of the Permission Granted Podcast, everybody. This is the show behind the show, the show within the show. We peel back the curtain on the show, and it's available on its very own iTunes feed each and every week. Just simply go on iTunes and search Permission Granted Podcast. You'll find it there. Subscribe for free. It's also available on our normal iTunes feed with the normal everyday show. It's available also on Twitter and on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash The DA Show. Mraz will join me coming up here in a little bit. But first, baseball season is here. And why not talk to a director who has put his, his touch on the game, has put his fingerprints on the game by developing a documentary about one of the most interesting parts of the game. That is the speed at which you can throw a fastball. Joining us is a very decorated member of the film industry, eight-time Emmy Award-winning producer, director, writer, and editor, and the director of Fastball. It's Jonathan Hawk here on the show. Jonathan, how are you?
1: Great to hear. Thanks for having me on.
2: You got it. Thank you so much for joining us. One of the most interesting anecdotes that you have in this film is that we always measure the fastball by miles per hour And through the the, the stands, you know, it stands through the test of time, the 98 mile an hour fastball, the 100 mile an hour fastball. But as you go back further and further, the actual fastball was measured farther away from home plate. So when did we finally get to the miles per hour we see on the scoreboard at stadiums?
1: Well, I think it was with Bob Feller uh, in 1946 that we first get the miles per hour. When Walter Johnson, who was the first guy to really be called the the fastest pitcher of all time, in 1912, he actually had his fastball timed at a rifle range uh, up in Connecticut, and uh, what they did was they measured it in feet per second. And, and given the fact that the ball travels 60 feet, six inches, it sort of makes sense that it would be measured in feet per second, right? Rather than miles an hour, cause it's not going for an hour and it's not going miles. But, uh, on top of that, they measured it, um, foolishly about 68 feet from the pitcher's mound, which, which Further doesn't make any sense. Bob Feller, they measured at home plate, and he came in at 98.6. But the thing is, the ball slows down uh, from the release. And today, all the pitchers are measured at 50 feet in front of home plate, virtually the instant that they release the ball. So the timings we see on the scoreboard today are uh, going to be faster than the timings we see historically, like Bob Feller's 98.6 at home plate and we had some physicists do the corrections for the method, and we found some interesting results about who really threw the fastest pitch of all time.
2: All right, so that's a pretty good tease here. We know that on record, Aroldis Chapman did 105 about six years ago, or a little bit less than that. As you went back through your, your statistics and your analysis, what did you
1: find? Well, we found, you know, Nolan Ryan was the first pitcher to be timed during a game by this big clumsy-looking device that was actually uh, contained the technology that became the radar gun. And they aimed the radar over the catcher's head right in front of home plate. So it was about, say, uh, 10 feet in front of the batter. So he came in at 100.9, which, by the way, was uh, in the ninth inning in a game, he threw 159 pitches. So... Uh, but 100.9, uh, 10 feet in front of home plate, translates to, let's just say, our oldest Chapman may not be wearing the crown any longer after uh, our film gets around. Ah,
2: very good. Okay, so that's a reason to go check this out. I know you spoke to so many incredible Hall of Famers and legends of the game, and one of the names that really stands out is Ernie Banks. I mean, he's a guy that obviously an ambassador for that franchise and that game and no longer with us. What was it like to be able to sit down with a guy that had that vigor, that charisma, and that kind of positivity around life in general?
1: You know, when I was five years old in New York, my dad took me to Sears, this is 1969, to buy my first glove and bat. And the bat was an Ernie Banks model. And I I can remember hitting two home runs, with that bat in a little league game and then breaking it but saving it now, yeah, I still have the bat and uh then to you know flash forward 40 years and 45 years and sit down with the man himself it was just extraordinary for me and uh Tony Gwynn was another another person in the film who we lost uh after filming and we're so so glad that we were able to capture them talking about this really romantic wonderful element of baseball um while they were still well enough to to talk about it and it was just um you know it was a thrill of a lifetime making this film.
2: Well speaking of your childhood I was I was checking over your your biography and uh, some vital stats on you and as a Mets fan one date stood out and that's your birth date and that's April 12th 1964 in Queens and I'm thinking is that like the exact day that Shea Stadium opened up when was opening day at Shea?
1: Yeah, it was probably just about then I missed it my parents said I did go to the World's Fair that summer which I, I don't remember. That was probably as close as I got to Shea. But my very first game I ever attended was at Shea in the spring of 69. Uh, it was, we were sitting in the box seats off the first baseline, and uh, the Mets were playing the Braves, and Rico Cardi actually was the hero of the game. He hit a double off the wall. And uh, I remember asking my dad, where are the words? Where are the words? Because there were no announcers. And I thought that the announcers at the game were, you know, were like in the air or something. So, um, but uh, yeah, Shea, uh, I spent a lot of time at Shea Stadium, especially in the late 70s when you could get in for the team was horrible and you can get in for a dollar and a half and sit in the first row of the box seat. So we had a lot of nights like that.
2: This interview is now complete because we have a Rico Cardi reference. Good job (laughs) by you, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you know there's this romanticism about uh, the fastest pitch ever thrown or some of the hardest throwers ever and we know of nolan ryan and walter johnson and now we chapman bob gibson was there any kind of guys on the fringe of baseball guys that uh, kind of came out of the cornfields if you will that you were able to kind of track down or look at or you know there's some anecdote that came out of the negro leagues or something like that
1: yeah, well, the, in, in the Negro Leagues, you had Smokey Joe Williams, who uh, supposedly threw as hard as Walter Johnson, although, you know, there's sadly so little to go on with that stuff, but you, you have to imagine that uh, it's true, or or at least close to it. Um, but the guy who really stands out in the history of the fastball and the history of baseball is Steve Dalkowski, and... This is a guy that, you know, we talked to David Price and Justin Verlander and a lot of the current stars who, Price and Verlander in particular, are really, really knowledgeable about the game and the history, and and neither of them had heard of, of Dalkowski, but to hear Nolan Ryan talk about him, to hear Davy Johnson, who played with him in the majors, and Pat Gillick, who, in the minors, I'm sorry, and Pat Gillick, who, who was on the pitching staff with him in the minors. Uh... In the early 60s, uh, Cal Ripken Sr., who was his catcher, uh, Steve Dalkowski was a guy who uh, supposedly threw harder than any man who ever lived. And uh, Ted Williams, uh, 1960, in spring training, got into the batter's box and looked at one pitch and said, I didn't see it and I'm never getting in the batter's box against <laughs> that guy again. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't throw strikes. Uh, in 600 something innings he struck out 1100 and walked 1200 and um never made the bigs and there's no footage of him uh but his name remains legend and that's the thing if you have you know if god touched your arm with that speed there's something that speaks to us about it uh even if he couldn't make it
2: So you've also been the director on a number of 30 for 30s, and that included Survive in Advance of Miracles and Men, but I think maybe my favorite 30 for 30 was The Best That Never Was, which you were uh, all over, you were the director of, and that was about Marcus Dupree. It was such a game-changing, ground-shaking recruitment, and it happened at a time where college football was just kind of really starting to become um, the popular national game alongside football, how kind of simultaneously thrilling and eerie was it to go back through Marcus Dupree's recruitment?
1: Yeah, that was um a really important film for me. I had been wanting to tell Marcus's story for a long time. Marcus and I were the same exact age and went through college together. Of course, I was not at Oklahoma, but um, you know, I I, I was really into it at the time and he was this colossal figure who was uh really a myth, a mythical figure coming out of high school, and then was so extraordinary as a a record-breaking freshman at OU, and uh, once ESPN came up with the idea for 30 for 30 where they were not assigning stories, they were picking directors and letting the directors pick the story, and now I had the opportunity to do the Marcus Dupree story because they they couldn't say no. They, that was the whole pitch, was whatever story you want to tell from the last 30 years. So uh, then I had to find Marcus, and it took me literally six months to find him, and I had to hire a, pers- a private investigator to to find him. But we did, and once I found him, he was just so great, and he said, hey, I wasn't hiding. I just wasn't, you know, I just wasn't around. And uh, it, going back to that to see this man and get to know him, so full of grace and so full of power and 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 just kindness and strength, you know, the ultimate gentle giant. and uh, to see how how he was done wrong, and how we as a country of football fans, lost the opportunity as NFL fans to to watch a guy who might have become the greatest that that ever lived. And uh that was a story I was really, really proud to tell it meant a lot to me.
2: Unrealized potential is one of the most, you know, captivating narratives and and stories that we we tell, especially in sports. And Marcus almost got there and kind of did at Oklahoma, but then of course fell on hard times, the injury, Barry Switzer, that relationship, the NFL, all of that. Is he a guy that lives with a
1: what-if,
2: or what's his, what's his mentality when you get to talk to him up well, close?
1: That, that's where I discovered his grace, is, is that he doesn't look back and say what if. He looks back and says, wow, how lucky was I that as an 18-year-old I was on national television playing football in front of 80,000 people calling my name and he does not live his life at all about what might have been he he is uh takes all the joy about what was and what is and and he's doing really well right now he's raising horses uh in Louisiana he really you know he's a country boy from uh rural mississippi and and he he loves horses and he just he's he's just a happy man who brings a lot of uh, just warmth and love wherever he goes, and everywhere he goes, people love him, and he's getting a lot of love now from the public, and, and that means a lot to me.
2: A film by Jonathan Hawk, documentary on for baseball fans on the fastball, called Fastball, narrated by Kevin Costner. It is out in theaters now. So all across the country, right, there is, uh, there's a number of theaters carrying this documentary.
1: Yeah, it's still, it's still in theaters at... Uh, in every major league market, it was in one theater. Some of them, it's it's not there anymore. But some of them, it's still there. And if it's not in a theater near you, there's iTunes, there's Amazon, uh, there's your cable pay-per-view. Um, pretty much any way you want to get a movie on demand, this one's available right now. It's the number one documentary on iTunes and and uh, and Amazon. And and you know, we're just really really thrilled with how the people are responding to the film and you know thomas tall the producer and i when we set out to make this film we wanted to make the film that baseball fans would want to own forever and every spring put the dvd in the dvd player and just remind ourselves why we love this game so much
2: That's pretty cool. You can get it on demand, as Jonathan just mentioned. Check it out on demand on iTunes, digitally, wherever you are, or in theaters. Perhaps if you're in a major league city, you can check it out there. Jonathan Hawk has won eight different Emmys for writing and producing and editing in Hollywood, and he joins us here on the show. Well, this was a lot of fun, Jonathan. Thanks so much, and best of luck with the film. I can't wait to see it.
1: Da, appreciate it, and uh, thank you very much. You got it.
2: Thanks to Jonathan Hawk for joining us here on the PGP. Moraz joins me now. Moraz, how are we doing? Doing tremendous. Weather's turning, feeling good. Yeah, being down in Florida last weekend really got my juices flowing for for baseball season. Now, of course, as a Mets fan, we finally have some expectations, and so that that's nice. Going down to spring training, getting to catch a couple of Grapefruit League games, including two Mets games at Port St. Lucie. That two was, ties, by the way, you saw a lot of ties going on in Grapefruit League action. I feel like if it's a tie after, like, nine innings, they should just do a home run derby
3: or something like that. <laughs> the old uh, hockey shootout but instead go baseball style? Why yeah. not have some fun for the kids down in Florida?
2: Yeah, I mean, because there is no incentive really to stick around once it's a tie in the ninth inning. You're it, like, wait, am I going to watch another tie of an inning and then go Unless home? it's
3: Arizona where you could get somebody swarmed by bees in center field.
2: Yeah, I, I just think um, I think they should find a creative way to end ties in spring training.
3: All right, well, why don't, you, why don't you lead the committee on that? I think that could be some potential. But, boy, is
2: that an addiction, man. You just go down to Florida if you're from a cold-weather climate. You sit around. You have beers. You're out in your, your shorts and your flip-flops and uh, your T-shirt, and you're just sitting back and, and watching a game. Cheap tickets. Walk anywhere you want. You're up close and personal with the players. Um, and then you, you go back to your hotel, and you, you go to the beach. You go to the, ho- you go to the hotel pool. You go out to eat at night, have a few more beers, you wake up, you do it again. Gosh, I'll tell you, that's living down there.
3: The first time you feel that sun on your face has to be, like, the most amazing feeling after basically being in hibernation forever, Yeah, hearing the crack of the bats for the first time, a little crack, you just do a little cracker jack or anything like that, a little hot dog. Had a Nathan's, yeah. See, it's interesting to me that the Mets down in Port St. Lucie would go with a Nathan's. Mm, why? I, do they do Nathan's in City Field? Oh uh... Nathan's isn't that popular in Florida. Well, what kind, of, what kind of hot dogs would they have at Citi Field if they weren't Nathan's? Uh, so I'm curious. I wonder if Nathan's is their provider at City Field, therefore they have to be their provider down in Florida. Huh.
2: That's a great question. I guess I hadn't thought of that. Because I
3: mean, Nathan's- for years it's, at Shea, was what, Con? Was, con's. Was yeah, I love Con's. <laughs> they yeah. were the dog? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I would just imagine that would probably be the same vendor. But I know from my time down in Florida, Nathan's is not a popular brand down in Florida. You're looking for more of a Sabret maybe down there? Huh. Uh, they migrate? What about uh, at Yankee Stadium? No... No, uh, Nathan's. Oh, Nathan. Yeah, they have Nathan's at Yankee Stadium, but I'm not sure if Nathan's is their provider down in Tampa. Would be my question. Oh, my. Huh. My point is, I find it interesting that Nathan's makes the makes the trek like everybody else does down there to distribute their hot dogs. Yeah, uh, it's. There's of nothing. course, this is my main focus on spring training. It's what brand of hot dogs you get to serve. There's
2: nothing like spring training baseball because it is. I mean, it's the cool parts of baseball without the bad parts of baseball. Now the games don't count.
3: But then there's no stress of walking out of there aggravated.
2: You go in there. It's dirt cheap. I mean, the first day we went, it was me and a bunch of buddies that I grew up with that were all Mets fans, a bunch of high school buddies. we had never gone to Port St. Lucie, so we said, let's finally do it this this spring. So we went down, and, um, and the first day, they, play, they were playing the Cardinals, and the Cardinals fans travel, as you might imagine, of droves, course. and it's right down the coast where the Cardinals uh, train. So it was a sellout, so we had to buy tickets. They were like standing room only, or you could sit out on the berm in right field. They have but,
3: scalpers out there?
2: Yeah, there were a couple scalpers.
3: That's old school. Yeah. Okay.
2: But, you know, you go out there, and you just you get some beers. We walked up, you got beers, and you just kind of stood around the concourse, wherever you could find room. And then right. if there's some empty seats, you can go there, sit out in the berm. You go to the tiki bar in left field. I mean, there's just a ton of things that you don't you don't have to really sit down. Right. And the tickets themselves were $13. That's amazing. Okay. So we go in and we get a round of beers, a round of beers for $31. That's four, like four two beers.
3: Yeah. That's two beers at City Field in the regular season. Yeah. That's F- amazing. Four beers for 31 bucks.
2: Um, and then, yeah, tickets for 13 or whatever. The next day we went back, um, I actually got a seat for $25 right down the first base side, five rows from the field. It's 25 bucks. And a beer is like
3: five or six, not that's, bad. That's so foreign to like being in New York at Citi Field, Yankee Stadium prices. Any professional,
2: I mean, I guess if you're going to like an Indians game or Well it's different. Back. Like
3: I just bought two tickets in Toronto, second row behind third base, forty dollars a ticket. Yeah, which I find crazy to me that there, it could be that cheap.
2: That's dirt cheap, and and you go to the um, you go to the um the The concession stand is being run by the the Kiwanis Club of, uh, of, Port of St. Louis. it's like five old guys that don't know the prices of anything. They don't
3: know if they've got anything. Almost left. like going to like a high school football concession yeah. stand. Yeah, you know?
2: yeah. It's and, and yet going in there, there were cheers from the crowd and people are into it. It's a stripped down, streamlined version. There's no crazy jumbotron. There's no like in between innings. Got to
3: shoot a stupid like hot dog gun. Right. It's cool. It's really cool. That's a good trip to make, man and as you said, if you're coming from the North like it's a little different if you're a Marlin fan down in Florida there's no need. there's no need there's no. nothing spectacular about it, and tickets might even be cheaper to your regular games, but yeah when you're <laughs> coming you're coming from any place where it's been hit by snow or freezing temperatures, that's the trip to make.
2: yeah and then you know we had we were down there for four days and there were two game days. And the other two days, one day was the beach, one day was the pool, one day you know just enjoy
3: so, the weather while you're down there
2: right it, it's that's living right there I'm a big fan of that it's living big fan so that's made me even more fired up for the baseball season oh, how could you not be I don't know I, I guess it's because the Mets are good but I'm, I'm always into this time of year just because it means it's the symbol it's the signal that it's going to start getting warm and nice but for some reason this year I don't know I'm more into baseball than I ever feel before. like
3: there's a lot more buzz around and maybe again it could be a New York bias because the Mets were there I mean the Yankees kind of always are just the Yankees so you know it matters but I totally feel that way. And even reading stories today, like the Royals looking to retaliate on the Syndergaard uh, deal or anything like that, like I'm actually, I'm not a Metro Royal fan. I'll be locked in for the three hours Sunday night. There's no question in my mind. A lot more than I would be on WrestleMania, like some people would be watching Sunday night. So, WrestleMania, what number is this? I, do they go by numbers or is it just yeah. by years? No, no, Roman numeral numbers. Roman numeral, I mean, so I figured it started in the 80s. I'm going to say it's like WrestleMania 37.
2: I want to say it started in eighty four, eighty five. So I'm going to say WrestleMania 32. It's right? a good. This is a good bet. So let's see. Ten things WWE got right in WrestleMania
3: 32. There you go. So WrestleMania 32. And now they've advanced to these stadiums. I, I couldn't even tell you where WrestleMania is this weekend. Well, I don't
2: know if they've ever advanced there. I think the first one was at like. Um, was that the Garden, the original one? Maybe the original, but one of the early ones was at. The Pontiac Silverdome.
3: Oh, really? Okay. I know recent years they've definitely. I know Levi Stadium, MetLife Stadium. They've had it, you know, stuff like that.
2: Well, outdoors, yeah.
3: Yeah, doing doing it that way, which is weird to me. But
2: can you name one wrestler?
3: Uh, Daniel Bryan
2: could be. I don't know.
3: I think that's a wrestler. I'm pretty sure that's a wrestler.
2: Is Triple H still?
3: Well, Triple H run. I think like is like one of the guys that runs it. I don't think he's actually wrestling anymore. I mean, I used to when I was a kid. I loved wrestling. And then I had to make a very important decision in high school when I started realizing I was missing Monday night football games to watch Raw. And I said, this can't happen anymore because I became that much more into football.
2: How about this? So I'm I'm looking at the WrestleMania preview on WWE.com. The championship bout is Triple
3: H versus Roman Reigns. I think Triple H is coming back for this one. I got to be honest, not a good sign for the future of WWE. <laughs> if they're digging up Triple H to still fight for it, and Roman Reigns, I guess that's a big guy. The no-holds-barred street fight is Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar. I've heard of Brock Lesnar. So. Never heard of Dean Ambrose. He could have been a third baseman for the Rockies this year at a camp. I would have had no idea.
2: Big Hell in a Cell match, Shane McMahon
3: versus The Undertaker. Shane McMahon's fighting now? It's not Vince McMahon. No, that's his son, but still. And The Undertaker's got to be, what, 73? He's been in a lot of WrestleManias. I mean, The Undertaker was old when I liked <laughs> when I liked wrestling. <laughs> Sounds like a
2: decent card. The Divas champion, it's, I guess, three Divas, triple threat match. Charlotte versus Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks.
3: Never heard of any of them.
2: There is the third annual Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royale. I don't know who's going to be in that. Hmm. There's the Usos versus the Dudley Boys.
3: The Dudley Boys are still wrestling? Are those a guy? Yeah, they were, guys, like when I, they were old were 20 years ago. But i got to be honest, I haven't watched wrestling in a while. I don't like the future of the sport or the activity, whatever you want to consider um, it. The New Day versus the League of Nations. Okay, never heard of any of them. The
2: Intercontinental Championship is Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn versus Dolph Ziggler versus Zack Ryder versus Sin Sara versus The Miz. I know The Miz versus Stardust.
3: Okay. I mean, do you need that many people fighting for a championship?
2: That's the Intercontinental. You got the Total Divas versus
3: B.A.D. Bad and Blonde. Hmm. You know, reading this, I got we're all pumped up for baseball. Now, me and Berman are going to be on side B here talking previewing the season. We just did a fastball spot. but Now, that being said, you know more people are watching WrestleMania than the Mets and Royals Sunday night. I think that's a safe bet, right? You know, that's a
2: pretty good question. Probably. But maybe it's close. I would think it's close.
3: Okay. I'm just assuming that many people are into wrestling. Sunday Night Baseball,
2: a a replay of the World Series versus WrestleMania.
3: New York market helps. But if more people are watching WrestleMania, which I have a feeling probably is the case, and that's the card, a very weak card as a random person who hasn't watched wrestling in a while, I would say that's not good for baseball. AJ Styles versus Chris Jericho. I mean, how? Chris Jericho, he, he came in in <laughs> 2000 did that whole Y2J thing. Come on. People are into this nonsense. I saw the other Snoop Dogs going to the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, can we get real?
2: So this is a question. I wish we had more time on this podcast. But why do you think now uh, mainstream media outlets are covering wrestling? Like here on CBS Sports Radio, we will have a WrestleMania post game show. Postgame show.
3: Eleven PM to Sport, two PM Eastern.
2: Sports Center is covering wrestling now. Why do you think that is?
3: Because they're trying to get their target audience, which is the young generation. and the young people love wrestling. Young people love wrestling. Young people love UFC. They love fighting. This do is You think it's 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 piggybacking off of the UFC. I think hundred percent. Yeah. I think I think they're gonna go hand in hand, even though wrestling's scripted, and you gotta realize they're More and more young people are what? They're on their phones. They're taking everything in digitally. I I guess they're still lazy enough to sit in front of their TVs, and that's what all these outlets want. They want to attract that young audience. If they're TVs, outlets on their phone, they want to make sure they're talking about what young people want to talk about so that they stay fans of those channels forever.
2: It's just kind of weird to consider wrestling a
3: sport. It's, it's it's not very weird. It's, it's, it's more entertainment, but it has a sports-esque feel to it. It's competition.
2: Well, it's obviously entertainment, and I certainly wouldn't take that away from anybody. And those guys are certainly athletes. I mean, you have to be in really good shape right. to do what they do. But to cover something that's scripted, that's really a television show. That's really what it is. Right. To cover something if you're ESPN as though it— I mean, for us to have the postgame show, it would be like doing a Bachelor postgame show.
3: Not even, because at least that's not scripted.
2: You know It'd what? It'd be like doing a Sopranos post-game show.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just one of those life things that people care about, and it's loosely tied to sports. I wonder, though, with ESPN and Sports all tied to this, I, I don't know this. Uh, are they still on USA? Are they on Spike? I don't even know where to find Raw anymore, but I wonder if maybe their TV contract's up soon, and that's something ESPN be interested in. But again, ESPN, they're in the business of covering
2: sports, sports not yeah. a television show. They don't – I mean, unless – they're going to consider this like i mean would they have a playmaker's post game show <laughs> i guess <laughs> you know
3: boy wrestling fans are not going to be happy with us on this podcast Well, i there. mean it's it's no offense but it's not a
2: sport if it's scripted the I whole agree. thing about sport is it's a competition where you don't know what's going to happen you i mean you just imagine us coming on on it's like breaking down a broadway play or a movie yeah now we certainly do that but we don't we don't have like a show dedicated to devoted it, to it. Very interesting, DA. We're going to have to get some answers on this. All right. I've taken up too much of your time. The Side B of the Permission Granted Podcast starts now.
3: All right. Welcome into Side B of the Permission Granted Podcast. A very special Side B as we're talking baseball. Yeah, I forgot the rest of the words. But, yeah, no Joe D, no James Ward joining me on Side B. Instead, we go with the great... Jay Berman comes back to the permission granted podcast. Jay, how are you?
0: Apparently, I am a bench guy, which is very disappointing to say.
3: Well, ironically, you're a bench guy here as we're talking baseball on side B because uh, you consider yourself a baseball aficionado coming off the bench here. You used to work for uh, what, MLB.com? Correct. So, yeah, I guess baseball. Thanks for a-
0: reading up on my bio.
3: I did read up on your bio. Um, it's not an impressive bio at all, to be honest with you. I don't disagree. Uh, Jay has been basically for two months. I would basically since the end of the conference championship games, and I've said basically seventeen times already in the beginning of this podcast. Say it again, bro. That he cannot wait for baseball to start. More or less saying, "Get me to baseball, bro." I believe has been the quote, and baseball is here. Berms, Are you pumped up.
0: And not only that, but you said you woke up this morning, um, popped your little head out of the uh, out of the sheets, and said, "You know what." Jay Berman was right. Get me to baseball.
3: I'm ready for baseball, man. Now, listen, I'm pumped up like you are for the NHL playoffs. I, I guess if we get to a Warriors Spurs here, as I mean, to that, I know the Final fours is this weekend, but baseball's here, which means green grass is here. Nice weather's around the corner, even though New York, for Yankee opening day on Monday, I think it's going to be about 40 degrees, which is a little brutal.
0: And Masters less than a uh, week and a half away.
3: <sighs> we talk about real sports here, Jay. Okay. All right. You understand what I'm saying?
0: I, I got you loud and clear, big guy.
3: I feel like there's a lot of buzz around baseball this season, especially with the Mets Royals opening up Sunday night with all this potential uh, payback that could happen, which I think is the Royals need to get over themselves. But the National League, as I was just telling you in the newsroom, I feel like for the first time... And the last few years, and maybe because I have an American League bias being a Yankee
0: fan, the National League, I feel like, is stacked. And- there are more good teams in the National League than there are in the American League heading into 2016, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. No
3: doubt. I mean, the Mets defending National League champions, bringing back Cespedes in the middle of the lineup, had the great starting pitching. The Cubs who I think is everybody's sexy pick, but they're still the Cubs, so I cannot pick them to win or even get to a World Series. On how you feel about the Cubs. Real
0: quick, this is how I look at the Cubs and the Mets. They were in the National League Championship Series, so I would say that they're probably um, two of the likelier candidates to return. But this is how I look at it. Cubs, and again, Mets versus Cubs. Cubs have the better lineup. Mets have the better pitching. What? Which of those two would you rather have? You'd rather have the pitching. And that's why... I think the Mets are a better team than the Cubs.
3: The one thing I'll say about the Mets, and the thing about baseball is, unlike football where you basically know your team going in, and that's when you break camp, that's the team, the teams can be altered rather dramatically by the end of July. The Mets have to do something about their bullpen down the stretch. Would you agree? Uh,
0: I it's, It scares it's,
3: the crap out of me.
0: Okay, well, can we let them... Be poor before we say that we need to make additions. I agree. My point is that, And it's the old adage, of course. You know, year in, year out, the bullpens are the most um, volatile spot on a major league club. You never know. Year to year, guy's great, then he's terrible. Then he's terrible, then he's great. So to suggest now that the Mets need to make a big trade for an arm sounds completely silly.
3: Okay, I'm just saying that's probably a more likely scenario. Here's the problem with the Cubs in the NL Central. The Cardinals are still damn good, and the Pirates—I know a lot of people are down on—are still damn good.
0: I just don't think the Cubs have great starting pitching. They have a couple of good. Look, do we expect Arietta to be the, what he was last year? No, I think that, that would be shocking if he was. Lester's still good. Three, four, five is not great for them. I don't love Lackey, but at least it gives him another veteran. You know what I mean? I, I just—I mean—the Mets' pitching is so. Assuming they all stay healthy, which of course is how it works for every team at every position. But let's just say all things being equal, everybody is healthy. That Mets staff is so good, has the potential to be so good. And they're going to get back Zach Wheeler, who I know, coming off Tommy John, not sure you can expect much there, but uh, that's just another bullet to add.
3: I would also not sleep on the San Francisco Giants and their pitching oh, in the no. NL. First
0: of all, the Giants struggling the way they did last year was was an aberration. They absolutely would They had be. that every
3: other year thing going on where yeah, they I can, mean,
0: it's not so much that because that's just fluky, but um they're a lot like the Chicago Blackhawks of the NHL. Would win every other good year, but Every single year the, the core of the team is just too good not to be a contender.
3: And they added Quato and Samarja to that rotation with Bum Cueto's
0: better than Samarja. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure Samarja was worthy of the money he got. Um, Cueto helped himself not only in the postseason, but specifically the World Series. Um, so they both got more money than they're worth. But when you add that to Madison Baumgartner, now Quato's not the one. Samarja's not the one. Those guys are two, three, four, five. It really makes it a formidable staff.
3: I want your most overrated team in the National League heading into the season.
0: In the National League, the most overrated team? That's a good question. I would probably say the Cardinals, and I'll tell you why. Okay, that's interesting. I'll tell you why. First of all, every single year, the Cardinals deal with a major injury. Yadier Molina hasn't been healthy in months, if not years. He's probably their most important player. Uh, and still, still
3: quite a pudgy load behind the no, plate. No, I mean,
0: he's, he's a dominant catcher, and I think he's great, but I think he's so important at the worst spot, kind of like the way Mike Piazza was with the Mets. It was, it was good and bad. It's great that you had the best catcher in the sport, but it was also bad because much more prone to injuries, and you couldn't play him 150 games because right. you'd have to sit him out once or twice a week. I'm just not sure... The Cardinals, um, I'm not sure the Cardinals are on the level of the Mets, Cubs, Giants, perhaps you, even the Nets.
3: Do you think the Cardinals missed the playoffs altogether, including I the think wild there's card a game? real
0: opportunity. First of all, they have two teams on their level in their own division. so Makes it tough. Uh, I One of those teams is not, well, I mean, I guess technically they all three could, but one of those teams is not going to the division series, that's for sure. Guaranteed. Okay? So, which team... If I said to you now, after the wild-card spot, after the wild-card round is up, which one of those three teams is not in the divisional round of the National League playoffs, my, my pick would be St. Louis.
3: I don't hate it, but just like the Giants, you have to drive a stake through their heart. Uh, my, me, without going into grading, uh, great inter- I would say the Diamondbacks. I know they signed Granke. Uh, I believe Shelby Miller's but, there. I
0: mean, are they an elite team that everybody I, considers no, I a threat? But they're kind of like,
3: I guess, the Jaguars would be in football, you know, make a couple free agency splashes people think they could surprise. I don't think so. I think they're going to be like the Padres were last year going in, where they're they just not that good and they stink.
0: Well, look, they have an ace starter that they overpaid for, and I'm not saying Granke isn't good. In fact, he's great. He got way, way too much money. But after that, I don't love the staff. They have great hitters. Goldschmidt is an MVP candidate every year. And it's a hitter's ballpark, and the ball flies in the summer. But you don't hit home runs to a World Series. You pitch to a World Series.
3: And do you believe the Mets will win the National League? Is that your official pick for the National League champion? Uh,
0: No, because I think it's really hard to repeat. I think they absolutely are a contender.
3: I want to pick, Jay Berman.
0: Um... And it's okay. Don't don't be afraid that you're being a homer by picking the Mets. Well, I am a homer. I would never see you're the kind of guy that would pick the Yankees and deny that you're a homer because you've blinded yourself. Yeah, there we go. I absolutely am a homer. I think I would say this. Um it's either Mets, Cubs, or Giants. I think I it's would one agree. of those three teams. I agree. And I think once you get to the postseason, assuming everybody's healthy, which I know is unfair to do, but assuming everybody's healthy, I think the Mets have the best uh have the biggest Advantage because you're throwing. I mean, Harvey, Syndergaard, Degrom. That's all you really need. Um, it's that's pretty amazing.
3: I would pick the Mets. I think the Mets are going back to the world. I really believe that. And as much as I mock the Met fan, all well, that they're good. They're going to make the world. I think Cup.
0: that's why we. Uh, for me, I'll speak for myself because I am a, a, a huge Met fan. Um, that's why I have anticipated the beginning of the 2016 season as much as I have um, for a very long time and pretty much most of my life. Um, I always love baseball, but the Mets really haven't been that great. The Mets haven't had anticipation like this. In fact, someone suggested to me the other day that this is the most anticipated season in Mets history. And at first, um, Hmm. hyperbole aside, I was like, whoa, that seems deep. And then I thought about it, and I don't think it's that insane to say that. What
3: about 87 coming off the World Series championship? Um, I mean, I was born that year, so I really can't speak to that.
0: Yeah, that's when you started with the Rocky Road and on your dad's lap.
3: <laughs> I was a pig. I was a yeah. pig even as I was born.
0: Uh, quickly, let's
3: just get around the American League real quick. Most overrated team in the American League, do you have one? You know, that's a good
0: question. Um, here's the thing I always pull for the Red Sox because I despise the Yankees. Which I don't
3: get. You should hate Boston.
0: I don't hate Boston. Why would I hate Boston? Boston, Boston and, and sport sport New York are rival beat, cities. But they're not because they they've never beaten the teams I root for. The teams I root for always beat, always beat them. Okay. Giants, Mets. So I love the Red Sox because what they do is pain the Yankees. Okay. Anyways, I'm afraid, despite the fact that they added Price, I think that was key. And I, I, uh, Barring an injury, he'll be great. I'm just not so sure. I don't love Hanley. I don't love Sandoval. Um, I think they're relying too much on guys like Betts and Bogarts, who are good, but are they, are they leaders? Pedroia, a lot of eggs in their yeah, basket. Pedroia is old, injury-prone. I don't know about
3: the bullpen. Does the David Ortiz retirement tour kind of consume them this year?
0: Um, well, you know, it's funny that you brought that up. I went back and looked at his numbers last year, and I had not realized how good of a season he
3: had. He got off to a bad it start. It was like 40 and 100 pretty sure it was a bad start
0: too i think he had a bad i just kind of gave up on him a couple years ago and i think he now look the red sox were terrible all year so maybe that's why we didn't have much focus on him but his numbers last year were great great now look he is a great uh, great pressure player and he was but um to suggest that uh, he did well without the pressure. Is I don't think is out of bounds. I think it's you know there's a lot to it.
3: So you've done is the, are the Red Sox your most overrated team? I would is that say what? gun
0: to head. Red Sox are overrated. That doesn't necessarily mean they can't be successful, especially since I don't trust the Yankees. I don't trust the Rays. Their biggest threat will be Toronto, and I'm not sure Toronto has the pitching.
3: The AL East is a weird division because you don't have any great team. You have a lot of teams that'll be competitive, and I think really anybody could. The Blue Jays won't finish in fifth. But anybody kind of can finish one through five, you know what I mean? Why would you
0: suggest that the Blue Jays would finish last?
3: I said I don't think they would, is what uh, I said. Uh,
0: Blue Jays are better than the Rays. I think they're better than the Orioles. I, I, think, think honestly, the, I, I think
3: the Blue Jays are the most overrated team in the American League. I think they can mash. I, I just don't like their pitching at all.
0: Well, Stroman's coming back. Now, admittedly, that's awful. But you know injured. what? Everybody keeps saying Stroman's coming back, and I know that he's a good young pitcher. Could he, have used him last year. He's also proven nothing. Well, I mean. You know what I mean? Like, all he is is, is, what is potential. Severin, what has Severino proved? Nothing. All right, but you think he's a he's a great pitcher. Yeah,
3: and I'm sure Toronto fans think Stroman's a great pitcher.
0: Uh, maybe we're throwing around the term great um, perhaps too too easily. Um, I don't think either of those pitchers, Severino or Stroman, are great. They certainly have a lot of potential, though. Who would you pick
3: to represent the American League in the World Series that, at this moment?
0: That's another great question. Um it's not that I don't like the Royals. Um, it's just really, really hard to get to a World Series three straight years and repeat as champions. So I would tend to move away from the Royals. Um, I, I would say a team like Detroit has bounce-back ability in them. Um, and Detroit has never really put it together. They did that one year where they ended up losing uh, to the Giants, I believe, in the World Series. I think it was the Cardinals. Oh, the Cardinals. I'm sorry. It was the Cardinals. Um but I feel like it might be one last time for guys like Cabrera and Kinsler to put it together. Um, they obviously added Zimmerman, who was good. Um, I, I, I would say, gone to my head, I'll take the Detroit Tigers.
3: I'm going to surprise you with this, because I did a little reading up knowing we would do this last night. You know who I like as the surprise team in baseball, I think, goes all the way to the World Series, out of the American League Can I year? take a guess? Yeah.
0: I bet you it's somebody out of the West. Do you want to guess? Am I correct there?
3: Yes. Okay.
0: Um, it could possibly be Texas, but I we remember all the times the Yankees played the Rangers in the playoffs, and it was never a contest. Agreed. Um Seattle?
3: I like Seattle. Seattle yeah. had a little hype entering last year, and they totally fizzled out. I think this is the year Felix finally gets to pitch in the playoffs. I think they're going to be excellent.
0: By the way, his Cano's number, actually having a good spring. He had one good day. He had three home runs two days ago. Cover now, off you, here. now you're all lit up. I'll say this. I, I absolutely guarantee you Cano will be better this year than he was last year. But as you did last night researching, I did last night researching. Do you know that Felix Hernandez's numbers, now, and I throw out wins because he was on a bad team were not that great. They were not King Felix-like of past years. And by the way— He
3: was probably taking the mound with a disheartened heart in a lot of he games. He did you not know?
0: have 200 strikeouts, a lot of total bases, ERA, I believe, between 3.5 and, and 4. And I probably, gun to my head, couldn't name 3, 4, and 5 in their starting staff. I wonder if his best days are behind him.
3: Could be. You never know with these pitchers. I'm going to go way, the other like, way and think that he doesn't have back-to-back bad years,
0: though. Do you like how I picked Seattle? I just kind of saw it in your eyes. I knew you wouldn't pick Texas. Oakland's horrible. I don't even know the other team in the American League West. Who's in the American League West? The Angels. The Angels. I expect them to be better. Yeah, they don't they have great be. pitching, but I, I just kind of felt there. American I saw Leagues, it in your eyes. The
3: entire American League's a crapshoot, so that makes me feel like it could, we could get a surprise this I don't year. think I'm there go are, they're, they're
0: really are not great teams on the elite level there are in the National I League. I agree.
3: Totally agree. So, I'm going Seattle and the Mets in the World Series. Probably means nothing, which means neither of those teams will get there because I'm picking them. But that's where I stand. How about
0: Detroit Mets from my end?
3: All right. So, we both have the Mets, and national fans are not By the be happy way, with us. it should
0: have been Mets Detroit in 2006. Well, um, listen,
3: take the battle off your shoulder. And by the
0: way, the Cardinals um, were made, bad that year. Made 83 wins in the regular season and made minced meat. Of the of the Tigers in the World Series,
3: yeah, you remember that so well. You thought it was the Giants that beat them. Uh, anyway, that's going to wrap it up. For you the Mission Grand end, ended on a little stinger, didn't you? I did. Well, you can follow Berman and it's now fifteen hundred followers at uh... nearly seventeen hundred. Oh, nice, nice. You're really building it up there. What's your uh, What's your Twitter handle? At J Jay Berman, J A Y B E R M A N. Check me out at Marazz CBS. Enjoy baseball opening day, and for you wrestling freaks, I guess enjoy WrestleMania. Take yeah. care.